Hi, Housing News listeners. This is Alcina Lloyd, and I'm the producer of this weekly podcast, which is a proud member of the Industry Syndicate. Today, you'll be listening to Episode 7 of Season 4 of the Housing News Podcast. In today's episode, Robert Brokesmith, the president and CEO of the Mortgage Bankers Association, joins the Housing News Podcast to discuss the organization's regulatory priorities for 2021 and what goals it hopes to achieve under a Biden administration. During the interview, he also discusses what could happen if the Biden administration replaces Kathy Craniger, the director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. But before we listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Now more than ever, homeowners and borrowers of the future need to understand impacts and options during times of financial hardship. Freddie Mac has made home possible for 50 years and is committed to providing assistance and clarity to the housing market. Through All for Home SM efforts, Freddie Mac Single Family is leading the future of housing through insights, education, mortgage, and business solutions. Learn more about resources to help you and the clients you serve at sf.freddiemac.com slash affordable lending. Thank you for listening, and here's the seventh episode of season four of the Housing News Podcast. Welcome, everyone. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HousingWire, and I'm excited to have on Bob Brokesmith, President and CEO of the Mortgage Bankers Association, on our Housing News podcast today. We're recording this in November, just after Joe Biden has been widely recognized as the winner of the presidential election, although not without some controversy. Um, There are a lot of changes coming for the housing industry, and we felt like there was no better source to talk to about what this means for originators um, than you, Bob. So welcome to Housing News. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Bob, we really, before we dive into the to the meat of this, we really always like to ask our guests here, how did you get into this industry? How did you start? There's not usually a clear path, and uh, we love hearing all the different stories. Well, that holds for me as well, Sarah. I'm an accidental mortgage banker. I graduated from college with a history degree and knew how to type. And uh, in 1985, I took a job as a temporary worker while I was interviewing for what I thought might be a Wall Street job of some kind. And my second assignment was with the Money Store, which was a lender in New Jersey. And I started, you know, more or less in the mailroom. I was typing forms, and uh, but quickly got to got exposure to the full um, every aspect of mortgage lending, and I uh, went after, I don't know, six months or so as a temp, became a permanent employee and then did what a lot of people do and follow their boss along when they got a different job and and uh, took on roles of increasing responsibility. And here I am. Amazing. It's, it's not like you had the, the master plan at the beginning, huh? I sure didn't. If you just said, what do you think about the mortgage banking field? I just said the, huh? <laughs> Well, thank you, Bob. Now, um, now let's jump into some of those questions I have for you. Absolutely. So, you know, what is top for your members right now? Well, given that we are still in the throes of the pandemic, we are continuing to advocate strongly for policies to provide relief to homeowners and renters during the pandemic. So whether that's rental assistance, because we believe a eviction moratorium doesn't really do the job, you still have to equip tenants to, to make that rent payment. Um, or whether it's some of the forbearance options and the ways for borrowers to exit forbearance. That's definitely one ongoing theme at MBA. 
Um, more broadly, the housing market is doing great and playing a leading role in the economic recovery with, um, as you know, just really strong refinance and purchase activity with these record low rates helping millions of homeowners uh, refinance and lower their monthly mortgage payments, or if they're sick of being on top of each other in the house, blowing out the kitchen and putting on a family room, getting a cash out refi, there's a lot of home improvement going on as well, which is providing consumers, of course, extra money each month during these challenging times. So we're focusing on the pandemic, both as it relates to needs of borrowers, but also the tremendous lending that has occurred uh, despite all the challenges of the pandemic. Yeah, you know, it is um, so interesting. At the start of this thing, it was kind of like, oh, what's going to happen to housing? You know, but unlike the Great Recession, right? I mean, housing is leading the way out of this and and has just been um, such a bright spot in the economy. Right. I mean, I say that housing is reasserting its rightful role in leading the nation out of recessions. Uh, the last one, housing obviously was a big part of the cause of the recession, which was unusual and we hope that it won't happen again and we we, we trust that it won't so we're really gratified to be uh, really a, a bright spot in this economy agreed you know uh looking to 2021 which is just around the corner i mean this has been a crazy year but but looking ahead what are some of the legislative and regulatory uh, priorities that you have at mba for the next year one of the things that I've learned in my two years at MBA, and I guess knew a little bit on the periphery coming in, is that you don't just look at legislation, especially in in a closely divided nation, you have to look at what's going on administratively too, because it's so hard to get meaningful legislation passed. So I, of course, will put on the perennial uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac resolution and um, reform But that is really going to play out in the near term administratively as Director Calabria at FHFA figures out how much he can do in whatever time he has remaining. Uh, And while that's of interest on the Hill, I don't expect any legislation to happen anytime soon. So certainly uh, the fate of the GSEs, as has been the case for 12 years, is high on our list. The regulation and oversight of independent mortgage bankers uh, is also something we spend a lot of time on. And increasing minority home ownership and really uh, trumpeting affordable housing initiatives is a big priority at MBA. And I guess the, the final thing I'll mention briefly is that we have engaged really closely on what will replace the QM patch and have uh, worked closely with the CFPB on that. As you know, that rulemaking is underway, and we hope, your question was about 2021, I sort of hope that gets wrapped up in the last month of 2020, but if it takes into 2021, of course, that'll continue to be a big priority for us. Well, you know, when when you consider all of those things, and, and there's a lot, you know, from your perspective, do those priorities become easier or harder to to work on in a Biden administration? Well, I'm not sure how much the change in the presidential administration will affect this because we're fortunate to work in an industry that has broad bipartisan support. So yes, there are different uh, points of emphasis between a Republican administration and a Democratic one. And you do have this this unknown during the transition with particularly FHFA and in addition to finalizing the capital rule, which we expect FHFA to do probably in December, 
the question is how much will they engage uh, during the last 10 weeks or so of the Trump administration with the Treasury, where Secretary Mnuchin, uh, his term, it will end, of course, in January. And the Treasury has to be involved in the resolution of Fannie and Freddie, both because they have to resolve how the taxpayers' stake in Fannie and Freddie will be uh, determined and how the other shareholders will be treated, because you can't raise new capital until you resolve those issues. And also, very importantly, what form the government guarantee of Fannie and Freddie MBS will take post-conservatorship. So the PSPA now uh, steers uh, steers us to about a $250 billion backstop with the Treasury. But the key questions in a renegotiated PSPA include what will the cost be to the agencies for that guarantee? And will the guarantee be strong enough that investors in mortgage-backed securities will view post-conservatorship GSEs just as favorably as they do GSEs while they're in conservatorship? And getting that question right is critically important for the affordability of home financing in the U.S. You know, in their, in their strategic goals, the FHFA laid out for Fannie and Freddie that, you know, that, that exiting conservatorship was in there, but it, it was through 2024. You know, do you feel like that that is going to be derailed at this point? Well, I think there's a very good chance that it's accelerated significantly because of the election results. Director Calabria has made very clear from, I was going to say from when he took office, probably from even before, because he probably talked about it in his confirmation hearings, that he saw the, the role of an FHFA director is to responsibly end the conservatorship. So he thought he had five years. He may still have five years. Of course, we're waiting for the Supreme Court to hear the oral arguments in the case about the constitutionality of the FHFA's structure, which is scheduled for, I believe, December 9th. And depending on how that decision goes, it could come down like the CFPB decision, where having a single um, head of the agency that was removable only for cause was found to be unconstitutional. But the cure for that was simply to make the director fireable at will by the president. So if that happens in the FHFA case as well, he may turn out to have less than two years as from the start of his term rather than five. And that may cause him to accelerate uh, the exit. So that's really, I think, what we're looking at right now. Yeah, super interesting. Um, it, hard to see how he could get too much done between here and, and you know, if, if he was removed early in the Biden administration. But, you know, obviously all of those things are not things that we know right now. You know, you, you talked about the CFPB and their structure. You know, a, a Democratic administration usually means more regulation. And it's widely expected that Biden will replace the director of the CFPB, Kathy Kraninger, because of the the very ruling that you talked about in the Supreme Court, what what areas do you anticipate being a focus for regulators over the next year or two? Well, I'd first like to say that we at MBA are very grateful for the tenure of Director Kraninger. We've worked very closely with her and and think she's done a really good job at the bureau. And if she is uh, replaced by President Biden, which I tend to agree with you that he would be unlikely to keep her on for her full five-year term. We think that there are a lot of areas outside of mortgage lending that the CFPB will focus on. Because remember, that 
that bureau has a very wide scope. It's not just mortgages. And there were things that the current administration decided not to focus on that I think a Biden appointee would have more interest in, including student loan servicing, uh, regulating debt collectors, and payday lending regulations. So I think there are things other than mortgages that will be on their list. As it comes to mortgages, I would expect that fair lending will be a primary focus and also affordable housing. And those two, to some degree, go hand in hand because if there are concerns about whether credit is equally available for people of more modest means and minorities, uh, then that curtails the availability of affordable housing. So I think there are a lot of different flavors of <clears throat> fair housing and fair lending that that um, will be on the Bureau's radar. I'm happy to say that unlike coming out of the Great Recession, where of course the mortgage industry had a big target on its back, and many would say deservedly so, this change in administration happens at a time where until the pandemic, mortgage delinquencies were at decades-long lows, and where we have been uh, manufacturing some of the highest quality, lowest risk mortgages in memory, and pursuant to the ability to repay requirements. So there's just not, in my view, a lot of uh, things that are ripe for enforcement as it relates to mortgage origination. Yeah, thanks for thanks for going over that. I, I do wonder, you know, as we get into more the the servicing part of, you know, as, as loans come out of forbearance and and how that looks, it'll be it'll be interesting. You mentioned affordable housing and and Biden um, Biden's ambitious housing agenda definitely has a focus on affordable housing. What part of that agenda aligns with the MBA's priorities? Well, before I answer that, I just want to pick up on your point about servicing, and I think you're absolutely right. I think there will be a keen interest in how servicers have implemented the forbearance mandates and how effectively they uh, go through the waterfall and get the right uh, resolution for borrowers as they come out of forbearance, whether because the borrower's uh, situation has improved or because the forbearance period expires. So that is definitely something that, that we'll keep our eyes on. In terms of the Biden affordable housing priorities, um, I'll again mention that we think rental assistance to borrowers is important for our members who are involved in the multifamily business. Of course, your, if your tenant can't pay the rent, then it's difficult for you to pay the mortgage. And having a an eviction moratorium kicks the can down the road a little, but doesn't really get at the root, which is the borrower's inability to pay the rent. So we'll be engaged closely, of course, as the conversations between uh, uh, Leader McConnell and Speaker Pelosi proceed uh, as it relates to a, a, some more coronavirus relief and stimulus. And we think that rental assistance should be a part of that. There were, um, President Biden had a, I believe it was a $15,000 first time home buyer tax credit. Um, <clears throat> unless lightning strikes twice in Georgia and Republicans lose both runoffs, I think we'll have a divided government where a proposal like that probably won't get much traction. Um, so while we would be generally supportive of something like that, I don't think the chances are very high. And I guess the last thing I'd mention in this regard is uh, 
continuing some work that we've done with the current administration to increase the supply of housing, both owner-occupied and rental housing, as a means of improving affordability. There are all kinds of impediments to um, producing affordable single-family housing and rental housing, and we think that efforts to remove some of those barriers should continue strongly during a Biden administration. You know, one thing that um, the Trump administration rolled back many aspects of the affirmatively furthering fair housing rule, uh, but Biden has said he will try to strengthen fair housing initiatives. And, you know, if you're a mortgage lender or servicer out there, how, how do you prepare for that change? Well, I think in this case, Sarah, that it won't really be a perceptible change to our members because they are accustomed to complying with fair housing regulations and benchmarking themselves against their peers and really making a priority of uh, excelling in that area. And the affirmatively furthering fair housing rule uh, had some uh, mandates or some some requirements for municipalities and things like that. It was a little bit less on the strict fair lending activities of lenders. So I don't see that as being a particular challenge or change. Our, our lenders and servicers um, uh, understand fair lending and fair housing rules. They've been complying with them, with strong laws in that regard. Um, for years, and they, they just have to be prepared to continue doing so. You know, you, you talked about the two outstanding races um, in Georgia, uh, you know, and you talked about what that might mean for the $15,000 proposed homebuyer tax credit. Are, are there other things that you think are probably going to be very difficult for him to get through, or are there things that you think, you know, there's some bipartisan agreement on? Well, that's that's really going to be interesting to see play out. I think that Given how close the election was, having a President Biden, who's an institutionalist and certainly not the most progressive uh, candidate to uh, compete in the Democratic primaries, having him prevail <clears throat> and having a what I expect will be a, a, a Senate with a small Republican majority, it really gives the opportunity for collaboration. Of course, it also gives the opportunity for absolute gridlock. But I think that Senator, uh, sorry, President Biden, President-elect Biden, given his decades in the Senate, his history of making deals across the aisle, and the fact that, let's face it, he's not a young man. He's going to want to get some things done. I think he has a lot of friends in the Senate. And I think that there could be some bipartisan cooperation on some big items. Now. As that relates to specific parts of a housing strategy that a candidate Biden might have laid down, I think there are some of those issues like the one we spoke about probably won't get much traction. But I think that there is real opportunity to come together on issues where, let's just say, center-right and center-left Americans, which probably describes a lot of the country, um, would look to them to make progress on, and I think they can do it. Yeah, interesting to, to think about his his long relationships in the Senate and how he can, how those can be used at this point, how that, how that can be uh, helpful to everyone as we try to get through some gridlock. <laughs> right, um, and he was criticized, as you'll remember, for, for uh, working closely with 
senators of of um, quite different political persuasions to get things done. But I think that there's a real chance and, and that Americans would welcome some uh, bipartisan legislation. You know, um, your, the MBA's weekly forbearance survey continues to show the number of loans and forbearance going down. It's, you know, you see a lot of people exiting. You do see just a small portion coming back in. But, you know, is there a trend there that you, you see in that data that gives you pause or do you, do you feel like it's mostly positive? I would say it's, it's almost entirely positive. We've seen uh, drops in the percentage of loans in forbearance just week after week after week and very low um, requests for new forbearance so that we are, as of our most recent report, um, we are down to, what, 5.67%, I think, in terms of loans and forbearance and with with the uh, numbers dropping every week. One interesting thing that we do have our eyes on as it relates to that number, the CARES Act said that lenders were eligible for up to six months of forbearance and with an extension request up to an additional six months. And it does seem as though there are borrowers exiting forbearance uh, at the six-month mark at levels that are higher than the weeks before and after. In other words, it looks like some people are being taken off of forbearance because the servicer has been unable to contact them and confirm that they're still suffering some sort of hardship related to the pandemic. So we do want to make sure that all borrowers understand the remedies available to them as it relates to forbearance. And in fact, we've just announced today an effort with some other trade associations and consumer groups and with the blessing of the CFPB to get the word out that it's imperative for you to contact your servicer so that you understand the options available to you because we're really trying to counter this um, problem where if a borrower has been in forbearance for six months but is reluctant to engage with the servicer, that they can't get extended. And it all it takes is a phone call. There's not any documentation required. It just needs to be a phone call where the borrower says to the servicer, I still have a hardship related to the pandemic, and I would like my forbearance extended. It's as simple as that. But if they don't do that, the servicer is not permitted to extend beyond six months. So that's something we're trying to really get the word out about. Yeah, that's interesting that you can see that in the data looking at, you know, why did they not just extend? Why did they get out and then go back in, right? Yeah, and actually, to some degree, the going back in is positive if it's that borrower set. In other words, if somebody does um, go out of forbearance after six months, but in months six and a half or seven or shortly thereafter, there is contact made and they're put back in, it's not as as simple as if they just stayed in, but it's sure better than the borrower um, refusing to interact with the servicer and then going down the delinquency path. Yeah, great point. You know, so we have had uh, an incredible year. Originators, right? I mean, I think I think the latest um, forecast for this year is $4 trillion in origination, which is obviously a record. Um, what do you think origination looks like in 2021? Well, first on 2020, it's really interesting how 
divergent the forecasts are. Here we sit on November 10th, and uh, our official forecast is about 3.2, and I've seen others that are as high as you mentioned as $4 trillion. So suffice it to say it'll be in between there, but in either case, it'll be the most since 2003, which is quite astonishing, especially given where we were in March and April as the pandemic hit us um, so hard. In 2021, we are expecting almost $2.5 trillion. And you might say, gee, that's a lot less than 3.2 or 4, but it still would be the second highest total in the past 15 years. And the purchase component of that, we're pegging at just over $1.5 trillion. That would be the highest on record. Uh, we had $1.51 trillion in 2005. So we are looking at 2021 to be a really strong year, notwithstanding the fact that it'll be lower than 2020. Yeah, it's 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 hard to uh, it's hard to beat this year. That's still an amazing number. Well, Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you sharing your insights and really taking the time to uh, to answer some of my questions and and give us some insight into what the MBA looks is looking forward to. Really happy to do it, Sarah. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Housing News Podcast. Please don't forget to give us feedback and rate us on iTunes. Also, make sure to check out HousingWire's latest podcast, The Daily Download, which is a daily wrap of HousingWire's hottest stories now available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you next week.